Is it well with your soul this morning as we gather during the second Sunday of Advent to consider the promise of the coming Messiah that was so long looked for? Last week we had a chance to consider hope. Uh, This week we look at peace. And the introductions could be very similar. Um, As Tim recounted, some of the reasons that might cause us to lack hope these days, there are similar reasons to allow maybe those same preoccupations with what's going on around us to keep us from experiencing peace. One of the um, things I considered beginning with was a list of all of the current wars and conflicts around our globe, Um, places, some of the places I'm not even that familiar with, and to see the number of casualties and lives upended, Um, not even to mention those who are in refugee status, but without a doubt, we're in a world that does not experience peace. I think we all wish for world peace, and whether that's a simple desire that we might think of, a glib one of the stereotypical goal or dream shared by beauty pageant contestants, at least as depicted in the movies, or even the painstaking task and goal of professional diplomats, a wish for world peace. I was having lunch with Don Holloway a few weeks ago, and he observed the significance of my preaching on this topic, peace, on this day, December 10th, the day that the Nobel Peace Prize has been awarded for the past 122 years in Oslo, Norway. It's the one Nobel Prize not awarded in Sweden. This year's award recipient is Narges Mohammadi for her fight against the oppression of women in Iran and her fight to promote human rights and freedom for all. The prize was scheduled to be accepted by her children because she is currently in jail as a political prisoner. And as you look back over past recipients, many of them have received the prize on the basis of aspirational peace. Worthy goals and ideals, no doubt, but peace that is not yet realized. Others have contributed in significant measures. Forty-five years ago today, the Nobel Peace Prize was awarded to Anwar Sadat, the president of Egypt, and Menachem Begin, the prime minister of Israel, in recognition of the Camp David Accords that brought a framework of peace for the Middle East and normalized relationships between Egypt and Israel. In parts of Menachem Begin's address, he appealed to the Hebrew Scriptures. And as we listen to some of those things, there are things that resonate with us today. And yet at the conclusion, we see that he comes up short in a confidence in a peace that we find in Scripture. I read an excerpt from Menachem Begin's address. The ancient Jewish people gave the world the vision of eternal peace of universal disarmament, of abolishing the teaching and learning of war. Two prophets, Isaiah, son of Amoz, and Micah of Moresheth, having foreseen the spiritual unity of man under God with his word coming forth from Jerusalem, gave the nations of the world the following vision expressed in identical terms. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Quoting Isaiah 2.4 and Micah 
Begin continued, We mortals who believe in divine providence, when recalling those sacred prophecies, ask ourselves, not whether, but when is this vision going to become reality? We remember the past, even in this century alone, and know. We look around and see. Millions of men of all nations are under arms. Intercontinental missiles deposited in the bowels of the earth or lying on the beds of oceans can destroy man and everything he has built. Not in Alfred Nobel's time, but in our own era, has mankind become capable of destroying itself and returning the earth to tohu vavohu, firmless, formless and void from Genesis 1-2. Under such circumstances, should we, can we, keep our faith in an eternal peace that will one day reign over mankind? Yes, we should and we can. Perhaps that very capability of total destruction of our little planet, achieved for the first time in the annals of mankind, will one day, God willing, become the origin, the cause, and the prime mover for the elimination of all instruments of destruction from the face of the earth, an ultimate peace, prayed for and yearned for by previous generations, will become the portion of all nations. Despite the tragedies and disappointments of the past, we must never forsake that vision, that human dream, that unshakable faith. Now, there's much to be commended in Begin's address. There's a lot of what he gets right. There's a lot of worthy ideals that he casts. And yet his prime mover is the, the situation that we find ourselves in. He concludes with a human dream, a vision, a hope, a wish. He says an unshakable faith, but the question is faith in what? More specifically, faith in whom? And that is where we have the opportunity this morning to look and to see that there is a peace that is available to us. It's not accomplished around bargaining tables. It's not accomplished through victory in war. It is the peace that God has intended for His creation to have in fellowship with Him. And even real peace that is accomplished, we see that, that Begin and Sadat did start a new, a new chapter. Real peace happened, but we know that that peace is temporary. We know that there will be wars and rumors of wars. And some may even say that it's quite ironic to quote Begin today, given what's happening in his own country. That leaves us beyond the situation that we face around us in a human perspective, the wars that exist, the troubles that we have, the disagreements that we're in, the conflicts that we face, we begin, first of all, our desperate need. We have a desperate need of simply peace with God. As Zach has been teaching us through the foundation series in Genesis, if you've been with us recently, we concluded the, the, the sub-series on corruption, pride, deceit, Rebellion, shame, curse, lawlessness, and death. That's the anatomy of sin and the outcome of sin that he's in the final five messages prior to the, the holiday. We are sinners in the hands of an angry God, and we have a need for real peace. 
not merely the absence of conflict or a truce or a detente, but true peace. The biblical word for peace, and many of you have heard the description of shalom, the Hebrew word, is completeness, soundness, wholeness, well-being, even a spiritual well-being. And although the original Roman term, the, the Latin term of irene did not initially carry that in the common language, but because of the use of the Septuagint and the translation and the New Testament content, clearly within Scripture, peace has that more well-rounded and holistic aspect of what God desires for His creation. Think back to the first days in the garden, and man walked in fellowship with his God. A good creation that was made for him, that was fitting for him. And sin destroyed all of that and created a great need. Now, many people today aren't really seeking a peace with God. They would really rather just prefer just to be left alone. And it kind of reminds me, the simple choice of peace or no peace reminds me of the way that Dr. Crawford described some, overly, some people's overly simplistic evangelistic approach of asking people if they want to go to heaven or what do they want to go to hell. Of course they don't want to go to hell. So they may say they want to go to heaven, but what they really want is to go to Disney World. And his point was too often we make such a clear choice that is the correct choice within biblical terms, but it's not the reality that most people live in. And so most, most people when faced with, do you want to be at peace with God? To be reconciled to your Creator? To live in obedience to His perfect law? Most people's honest answer isn't yes, because sin has so corrupted us that that is not our normal choice. In Isaiah 48, we see that peace from a human perspective an unredeemed perspective is elusive. In Isaiah 48, 18, he writes, Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. God is speaking. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. And he continues, but he concludes in verse 22, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. He echoes that again in Isaiah 57, verse 21. And in this interplay in Isaiah and also in the Psalms, we see that peace, true peace, is connected to righteousness. Psalm 85.10, for example. But also earlier in Isaiah, in chapter 32.17, he says that the work of righteousness shall be peace. Now, in the midst of the horrible situation that mankind finds itself in, Zach offered this as a glimmer of hope. In our darkest hour, God mingles justice with mercy and judgment with hope. And so despite our great need, our desperate need for peace with God and our utter inability to address it, it was God in His mercy and His grace sent us His Son. If you've been reading the Come let us adore Him devotional. That was the theme a couple nights ago. That grace is personified in Jesus. And God sent Himself. He sent 
Christ to do what? To do the work of righteousness on our behalf and to bring peace. Now, some familiar verses that we see, even as we share the good news of salvation. And of course, the good news is only so good because the situation is so dire. And some very familiar verses that mingle that justice, but mercy, that judgment with hope. In Romans 3, 23, we're very familiar. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it continues, verses 24 and 25, obviously through Christ, are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Part of the peace that we can experience is because it has been bought by Christ's blood. That, is, that offer has been made. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. And here in describing the peace that is possible with God and how that comes about, Paul actually helps us to better understand our prior state, the state of unbelievers, those who do not yet have peace, what is required in order to have peace. Romans chapter 5, I want to start in the, we're going to look at the first 11 verses, but I want to start in the middle. Um, Paul has his own logical reason for how he progresses, but as we consider this, and as we look at our helpless state, verse 6, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Romans 5.8 But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Those middle verses are really what become the foundation because Paul's already been developing this in the first chapters of the, of the book of Romans. But jump back to the beginning of the chapter then. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a peace that we can negotiate on our own terms. We did have no right to even be at the, at the table. But Jesus stood in our place. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access. We'll come back to that in a couple minutes. By faith, into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I find it fascinating how the, the four simple themes of Advent so much interrelate and overlap, and you find them in the, in the text that you choose, like, is that a hope verse, or is that a peace verse, is that a joy verse, is that a love verse? Because it's all part of this celebration of the gospel that came in the form of a baby, of God incarnate. In J.I. Packer's famous book, Knowing God, there's a chapter when he talks about all of some of the objections there are in terms of the miracles and even the resurrection, the crucifixion, all of those aspects. And he says, but really at its heart, 
virgin birth, all of those at its heart really come down to the incarnation. Because if Jesus truly was God, then that answers all of those other questions that you may have. It makes sense because he is God. And the hope that we have, that Tim talked about last week, the glory as we think of future, the glory that the, in the angels, the glory shone around them because Jesus had come, light had come into this world. And then skip down to the final verses, verses 9 through 11. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. That's that underlying part that, that is very clear in case it's been missed. And if someone is reading this passage kind of comfortably as a believer who is already saved, it's become easy to forget, to recall the wrath of God, of a holy God, rightfully waiting for sinners who do not have Christ's righteousness paid to their account. For if while we were enemies, the reminder, that was us, without God's grace, without God's mercy, without His call, without His Holy Spirit quickening us unto salvation, we were enemies with God, but we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, a great cost to bring this peace. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have been made right with God. We have a restored relationship with our Creator. We have experienced the reverse of the fall of Genesis chapter 3. We have been reconciled to God. What a great aspect of salvation. And so we think of the various facets or terms or descriptors of salvation. Several come to my mind often. One is redemption, and you think of redemption. You think of the aspects of salvation, justification we read about, that I am considered right in right standing before God. But this aspect of reconciliation, of those that were at odds that are brought together, that there is harmony where there was once disunity. One recent article has suggested that particularly because of the way our, our current generation so focuses on relationships, that reconciliation is a concept that really conveys to them, that they gravitate toward, that they can understand. And to see that we have, in Christ, been reconciled to God, that provides the means of reconciliation for any relationship. Because it changes us. It changes who we are. It changes how we respond. It changes our willingness to even suffer wrong in order for the relationship to be made right. We no longer sit, insist on what, our, what we are due, but we are willing to give up because God has given up so much for us. This is the great need that we begin with. We have a need for peace with God. That's not the, the default position of most people even those who might believe in a divine providence or a higher power 
or the man upstairs to think that, well, we're on good terms. No, none of us begin on good terms. It is only through Jesus that we have that peace. Now, we've already partially answered how that peace with God comes about. But as we think about the role of Christ, and considering it in the time of Advent, we see the good news. Peace through Christ. We've already sung, Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn King, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Uh, Bauer in his lexicon remarks that the term peace, particularly as we see it in the New Testament and some of these passages, Acts 2.10.26 and Ephesians 2, is nearly synonymous with messianic salvation. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah whose coming we anticipate during Advent. Advent, of course, means coming. And we talk about Christ's first coming, the incarnation. But it also is a time to remember of the second Advent and the opportunity that He makes available for salvation between the two. As we celebrate Advent, we keep in mind that the, the term means coming, and yet also there is an aspect of celebrating Advent of waiting, of expectancy, that of the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, we almost place ourselves back in the story before Christ came, holding on to the prophetic promise that the Messiah is coming, so that as we celebrate Luke 2 and John 1 on Christmas Day, we get to experience what the shepherds did, what Mary and Joseph did, what the wise men did, what later Simeon and Anna experienced. They experienced the good news of peace through Christ. We've had already read Isaiah 9-6, that for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder And His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is our peace. He makes the way for peace. In Micah 5, 2 and 4 and 5, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Of course, talking about where the Messiah would be born. For you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Verse 4, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure in peace. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And, verse 5, he shall be their peace. We see the Messiah has come, Jesus is our peace. And of course, that all culminates in Luke 2. Verse 8, in the same region there were shepherds. This same Messiah, actually interesting, both Isaiah and Micah, the two prophets quoted by Menachem Begin in looking for eternal peace. The promised Messiah. And in Luke 2, we understand He has come. 
And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. But the angel said to them, Fear not, be at peace. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now notice that is not a blanket offer of world peace. Too often that's where this comes from. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And yet to understand, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This did not, does not remove the warning from Isaiah that there is no peace for the wicked. The other Christmas text, at least in some church traditions, is John 1, verses 1 through 18. We're not going to look at that this morning, um, but it's one of the verses that our, our kids are working on uh, this Christmas. But with John 1 in mind, I do ask you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. And as you think back through what, what Zach has recently led us through in the creation account of Genesis 1, as you think of the early words of John 1, and the, the Word was with God, the word, he, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made through Him. And without him was not anything made that was made, and in him was life. Of course, John continues then to develop the theme of, of light, the light of men. But notice in Colossians chapter 1, some parallels to both Genesis 1 and John 1, uh, particularly the uh, verses uh, 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 15, I'm sorry. And for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And it continues, and notice the verses 19 through 21. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Sound like John 1.14? And through Him, through Jesus, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Before whom? Before holy God. We see also that reference, that aspect in Romans 5 of access. We see this access that Jesus presents us before the Father. Fully at peace. We have peace with God. We're invited into His presence. 
Hebrews 4, boldly approach the throne of grace. That same throne in, in which Isaiah fell flat on his face, fearing death because he was an unholy man, a man of unclean lips. And yet just as Isaiah was cleansed, through Christ we are cleansed and invited into the very presence of Almighty God. We're given full access. It's not just a treaty or a truce. It is a full reconciliation, restoration of relationship. We are at peace. We are whole. We have spiritual well-being in the presence of God because of the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. That gives us great comfort, the peace of God. First, we need to have a peace with God. That peace comes through Christ. And the peace of God gives us great comfort. Christ also promises His peace. If we, in, in terms of um, order, biblical order, Christ's promise of peace in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, He tells His disciples. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. So it's not the same peace that everyone's looking for. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You're at peace with me. You're at peace with the Father. And in John 16, he continues, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus doesn't promise a lack of conflict. What He promises is peace. And notice, even more than peace in terms of, of, of an emotion or an experience or reality, He promises Himself. And later He promises that He will send the Helper to be with His disciples. He promises Himself the comfort of the peace of God. Greg referenced Philippians 4, verses 5 through 9, a peace that passes understanding. This is a peace that occurs in a spirit of thanksgiving and in the practice of prayer. If you look at Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9, some of you may recall that was the message I preached when I candidated here in September of two years ago. We are called to be joyful, gentle, worry-free, and grateful through prayer because of the peace and presence of God. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He is the one. He is our peace. And we have that great verse, verse 8, of what should we be thinking about? Too often we lack peace because we allow too much input from non-peaceful sources. But finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just and pure, whatever is lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Let our thoughts be full of truth and beauty and purity and justice. Scriptures, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And consequence, the God of peace will be with you. Verse 7 begins, the peace of God. Verse 9 closes, the God of peace. 
But even earlier, at the, be- the end of verse 5, it says, the Lord is at hand. And it closes with, the God of peace will be with you. It's His presence that provides that peace to us. A number of other verses that connect peace in our lives with God's presence, um, whether it be in, in the Psalms, um, be still and know that I am God. Isaiah 41, 2, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will uphold you. And even as you think about God's command to Joshua to be strong, to be strong and courageous, that's bookended with, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And he concludes in verse 9, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So God has provided that we might have a peace with Him because of peace through Christ. And He comforts us with His peace that we might enjoy. There's a promised future, though, of an eternal peace in His presence. That's not a main focus this morning, but as you look through each of these texts and you consider the word glory and the anticipation of that future peace when all is right and all things are new and there is no more sadness and no more tears and no more crying and no more sin, no more corruption. That is peace that we get to enjoy with our God and King forever. Well, just a few aspects of application as we close this morning, as we think about peace this Advent season. I chose three songs to kind of summarize them. The first is Joy to the World. We all have the opportunity today to have peace with God because Jesus came to make a way. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. If you are not at peace with God today, that is the primary starting point. Jesus came to make peace, to provide peace, that your sins can be forgiven. You can have relationship with, you can be reconciled, restored in relationship to a holy God. The angels proclaimed, fear not, for bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. We saw in Romans 5 that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His atonement, even as you break out that word, His at-one-ment provided the necessary reconciliation with God. That is your opportunity this morning if you've never received the free gift of salvation, that you might have peace. Peace with God, peace in life. Secondly, for those who know Christ, silent night. All is calm. All is bright. Not necessarily around us, but we can possess that peace. We can experience the peace of God on earth as it is in heaven, in the midst of chaos, because He has promised His presence to those who know Him. 2 Corinthians 13 closes with a benediction. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. But finally this morning, go tell it on the mountain.
This peace, this serenity, isn't just for our own enjoyment. To turn off the night, the, the, the lights at night, and to look at the Christmas tree and the lights in the neighborhood and just to enjoy that peace tucked in for ourselves. This is a message that is to be shared. As Christians, we're called to share the gospel of peace. We are Christ's ambassadors with the message of reconciliation. Bruce referenced this in his prayer. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That needs to be our message. There's an urgency to it. This isn't a piece of tranquility and solitude only for ourselves. It's an urgent necessity of peace to be proclaimed, to be taught, to be shared, to be modeled, that others might come to that saving faith. We are Christ's ambassadors, His representatives. He's given us His authority. God is making His appeal through us. We're the, the mouthpieces. We're the spokespeople. We're not the convincers. We're not the persuaders. We're simply the, the truth proclaimers. It's a gospel of good news for all. And we implore you, the urgency, we beg you, some translations say, on behalf of Christ, because of what he's accomplished, because of what he suffered, because of what he came to do out of great love, be reconciled to God. May that be our mind of peace this Advent. In uh, the closing line of a song, uh, currently Luke's favorite song that we play in, in the car on the way to different places, um, a, a song called A Desperate Benediction, Peace on Earth by Stephen Curtis Chapman. The closing line is simply, Oh, let there be peace on earth and let it start with me. At the risk of trivializing, there is a, a bumper sticker, a meme, whatever, that is true. No Jesus, no peace. But if we know Jesus, we know peace. We have peace with God, we have the peace of Christ, and we have the peace of God with us. May you have peace with God and know true peace this Christmas.